This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Hi, this is Libby Denkman. Welcome to Neighbors, a collection of stories to connect you to your Western Washington neighbors for the holidays from the team that makes sound side on KUOW. For the next two weeks on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we'll bring you stories about your human and non-human neighbors from Seattle to Tacoma to the West Sound. Today, we're taking a walk on the Ave in Seattle's University District. That's where, for four decades, in a storefront between 45th and 47th Streets, the Lagos family ran the Continental Greek Restaurant. It was sparse and cozy, a place where anyone could find some comfort and community. Tasso Lagos is a lecturer at the University of Washington's Jackson School of International Studies. He chronicles the restaurant's history in his book, Cooking Greek, Becoming American, 40 Years at Seattle's Continental Greek Restaurant. Lagos and I walked around the university district late last year and talked about work, family, opportunity, and why he sometimes hated the Continental, even as, he says, the place taught his family how to be American. But first, Tasso Lagos told me how much things have changed on the Ave since 2013 when his family closed the restaurant. Well, we're here in the University District, uh, Ave, as it's called, University Avenue Northeast, and we're more or less in the heart of the U District. If we consider the U District to be a neighborhood, uh, this is the heart of it, right here, this particular street, uh, going from 50th to, I think, down to probably 42nd or 41st. So... We are at the heart. We've seen a change over the years. We took over the restaurant on January 2nd, 1974. Um, and I was a teenager then, and it was a very different vibe uh, than it is now. Um, yeah, tell me about what the Ave was like back then. In the 1970s, it was still the remnants of the 60s, so that there was, a, there was still a, a well-known and visible drug culture here. Uh, we had... The irony of it is uh, we had come from a small village in Greece where we didn't see anybody do drugs and or sell drugs. Uh, and so we came here and it was quite a shock to have to deal with that. Uh, it was still the, the hippie era where you had folks um, very much living in a different lifestyle than what we were used to. Um, and then in the 80s, it started to change a little bit. Uh, it became a little bit more gentrified, if you will. Uh, and same thing in the 90s. Um, the big event that took place was the U Heights School. That's now a community center. Uh, there were a bunch of us folks who decided to do something about that to make it a community center. Um, and then in the 2000s, it, the street was changed. Uh, there was an upgrade of the street. There used to be a trolley here. There was a trolley that went down University Avenue? Yeah, yeah. Not, not during the time we were here. I think back in the 20s and 30s, because when, when the street was upgraded and this whole thing was a, a big pit here, and there were um, a, a wood boards here on top. There wasn't a sidewalk. Uh, and there were rails. You could see the rails that were there, and th- those were removed because there used to be a trolley coming from downtown. And that was true also of Ballard, um, Queen Anne, I believe. Yeah, Queen Anne, and I think uh, uh, also Capitol Hill. 
and maybe south or maybe Georgetown, although I'm not really sure about that. So the remnants of that were here when you first yeah, moved in? Yeah, they're still, yeah, they were here. This area used to be called Brooklyn uh, before it became known as U District. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's quite a different place. And uh, so at the time that, uh, that we moved in, um, it was uh, a vibrant place. I have to say that it was also, I mean, I talked about the whole sort of hippie culture, but it was a very vibrant place that you had families on strollers. Every Thursday, all the shops stayed late. All the shops, meaning not just restaurants, but all the other shops were uh, open till nine o'clock. Same thing with the U bookstore, the, the bookstore. And you had hordes of families going up and down here with pushing strollers and we were packed. The restaurant was so busy here. It was phenomenal. Um, can yeah. can I ask, your family came from a small village in Greece. Why emigrate to the United States? What was the circumstances surrounding that? Uh, that's a very, very complex story. Uh, and what happened was my uncle, my dad's brother, had come to the U.S. as an orphan. My, my dad's parents, both parents, were killed by the Nazis. In fact, uh, my grandfather in the village, uh, he was uh, a, a local mayor, you might say, or the president of the community. And when the Nazi invasion took place in Greece in 1941, uh, apparently the, the, the Nazis had the names of all of the leftists there. And uh, so he uh, was killed. In fact, he was shot. And then someone with a pitchfork came and stabbed him so, to make sure that he was dead. So. My father and his family, his siblings, were left orphans. Uh, his older brother, uh, Uncle John, came to the U.S. as an orphan in 19, I think, 53 or 54. And he ended up then uh, going to dental school here at the university, set up his own practice in Elderwood. And then he came to visit us in Greece in 1965. And uh, he talked to my father, whatever they talked about, and it was decided that we would move to the U.S. to come and live with him. And he had a house. Oh no, an apartment in, um, in Linwood. And so we came to Seattle. How old were you? Uh, I was close to nine years old. And did you initially, your family, have the goal to have a restaurant? Was that the idea or Absolutely how not. did it come about? Uh, by accident. Uh, so w there was a friend of my uncle who would come to the house and he was a partner. He was, there were two partners in, this, in the restaurant. And uh, he said that the other partner was uh, leaving the business and he asked my father if he would be interested in buying out his share and coming to work at the restaurant. My father had been a coal miner in Greece, and when he came to the U.S., he was a plumber. <laughs> I, I went with him a few times to plug toilets, uh, to deal with plug toilets and so forth. Um, my father was very skeptical, did, was unsure of doing it. Uh, he hemmed and hawed and, and eventually my mother, I think, convinced him to try it, even though he had absolutely no experience in the restaurant business at all, nothing. He couldn't even speak English very well. And then he came and uh, took it over, and we started helping him. My, my, then my brother came in to help. He gave up his undergraduate career at the university to come and help. And Your brother dropped out of school? He dropped out of school to come and help. And then my mother, who is the real sort of hero of the story, um, no word of English, couldn't write, uh, read or write. She started here, I think, in 1980, 81, and uh, she eventually became a borrowed mom to rock bands and all kinds of people, and uh, they loved her, and she was quite a force. So tell me what this looked like when your family took it over and 
how the restaurant evolved over the years. Give, it, give us a paint a picture for us. Yeah, it looked like uh, kind of an old 1950s diner. There was a sign right here and it would, uh, it would go around, spin around. You've seen those signs probably, maybe you see them in Las Vegas, but it was the old style. It said uh, open 20, uh, the hours, whatever it was. I don't know what the hours were at that time. Uh, and uh, there was also something here in the front that said we habla Greek, which is the incorrect way of saying, you know, we speak Greek. It should be uh, we hablamos Greek. But anyway, uh, and that was that. Um, the door was still here. The windows were, they were different at that time. They weren't the plants at that time. And um, the cash register was right by the door. Um, so, so it was the kind of place where you ate and then you cashed out at the end of the meal yeah, the, yeah, by the you door? Out, yeah, you did it by yourself. And there were actually two sides, which there still is the case. So this, there was the pastry side, as we called it, and that was the main dining area. So th this is where a lot of the regular people hung out, the ones that we knew, and they would sit at the family table. And then this was where uh, most of the other folks would come in and have dinner and the large parties would put the tables together and so forth. Um, and then uh, you had a small kitchen in the back that was an absolute disaster. I worked at it, so I knew all about that. Um, and so my father remodeled the kitchen and eventually we did a remodel here of the, of the front. Uh, but it, it stayed more or less the same. Now it looks a little bit more worn down than I remember it, but. We're standing on University Avenue and I'm talking with Tasso Lagos, lecturer at the Jackson School of International Studies at the University of Washington and author of the book, Cooking Greek, Becoming American, 40 Years at Seattle's Continental Restaurant. And I remember the Continental because I went to the University of Washington as an undergrad, and it was one of those spots that, you know, you knew you could come and get a really reliable and homey and comforting meal on the Ave. And, you know, for kids that are away from school for the first time, walking in and having that family feel hit you right away because your family was always there. I mean, a member, some members of your family. It was a special experience. I mean, is that what your family was hoping to build over the years uh, here at this restaurant? Yeah, as you say that, I'm getting a little emotional. Uh, I don't think, uh, to be honest with you, I don't think that anybody set out to do that. I don't think that it, it, it was a, a motive or we, you know, that was sort of a part of a business plan. Uh, we came here and, uh, and my father and my mother and my brother and eventually my sister as well did, I think, what we knew to do back in the village which was kind of uh, replicate the village cafe, the Cafe Neon, which was, a, a, it was a, like a community center, a place where people hung out. They got news there, they got their mail delivered there. Uh, they got introduced to new communication technology. The first TV sets were in the Cafe Neon in the village cafe. So I think my father, who spent a lot of time there, I think what he did unconsciously, at least that's my theory, is that he tried to replicate that here. And in Greece, uh, it's, it's very standard to, first of all, that a family owns the operation and the family members have to work there, right? Uh, that's just the way it is. You know, you don't complain, you don't argue, you just do it because, you know, we're available labor. Uh, so that's what he did. And uh, the owners in Greece, the Cafe Neon owners there, the Ca Village Cafe owners, they have this quality of welcoming people they know your name because that was how the village operated everybody knew each other so i think my father did that and then we picked it up because that's what we knew that's what happens in greek you just 
You know family members, you know their kids. My father, whenever a kid came in, he would always give him candy or a cookie, always do that. And of course, you know, kids like that. And then they grow up and then they have kids and so the ritual would go on. Uh, so no, it was never planned that way, it just evolved because that's what we knew in Greece. What does it mean to you to become American? I have, I've had, to be honest with you, a very complex uh, relationship with the United States. Uh, I left the Greece when I was a young boy, as you know, and I was very attached to the village, and I did not want to leave. And when I came here, I was very, very unhappy for two years. Um, and there was a part of me that disliked this country. And uh, that sort of carried with me because it was... I blame the U.S. for removing me from what I had known in the, in, in, back in Greece. And not just removing me, but taking me away from everything I knew. My friends, the schooling, the language, the culture, the weather, everything you can imagine was different when I came here. And I only knew one Greek word, an uh, English word, that was the word no. You can't really communicate in a culture when you only know one word. Uh, so there was always this angst uh, that I had, this relationship with the United States. And it wasn't until much later that I began to realize that I had grown into and become part of this culture. And it was by osmosis. It wasn't my plan. I never wanted it that way. It just the one day I realized uh, when after I lived in LA, Los Angeles for a few years that when I came back, I was, I was an American. Was there a Greek community when your family came to Seattle and you know how did the Greek community relate say to this space or how did your family relate to the broader Greek community in Seattle? Uh, any diaspora community is going to come uh, is going to try to welcome newcomers to their community uh, and this was the case with the Greek community you've have something like 10,000 Greeks or Greek Americans living in in the Seattle area and uh, because uh, my, my uncle, my dad's brother, was very well connected to the Greek Orthodox Church on Lower Queen Anne, uh, that was a natural venue for us to meet people and to feel part of the community. So that diaspora community, the Greek-American community, was very vital in us being able to, get, um, to sort of get our ballast, to start developing roost in this, cult, in this society, to get advice, to talk to people that you know, knew about the restaurant business, uh, if you, for people that uh, to do repairs and all that stuff, you had this uh, built-in community that we could reach out to if we had a problem here. So you knew a guy. You could, you know, call yeah, up yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. in the community who could figure it out for you. Yeah, we had the, the deacon at the uh, St. Demetrius Greek Orthodox Church was also someone that knew a lot about refrigeration and, uh, and ovens and all this stuff. And so whenever it was a problem, we would call him and he would come. I mean, he was fantastic. So it was that sort of network that we had to rely on because you couldn't do it by yourself. I mean, you can't, you can't, come, you can't go, come from Greece come to the U.S., not speak the language, and then own a restaurant in a very, very populated, very popular, very busy street and, and survive unless you have some tools, some networks you can rely upon. Okay, so your family has the restaurant for 40 years. What led to the eventual passing of the torch, as it were, to a different restaurant your family steps away from the, the business? Both my mother and uh, my father and uh, also my brother, for most of the time here, if not all the time, certainly my mother and my father, worked every day 
my mother would wake up in the house at 2.30 in the morning, get up, uh, and I still remember her because I was staying at downstairs at that time, and I would hear the pluck where she would drop down her shoes on the floor. She would get dressed, put on her shoes, come down here at 3.30 in the morning to mop the floor, to prep the kitchen, to, uh, to, to mop the bathrooms, to do everything. And she did this every single day for seven days a week. The only time she didn't do that, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's Day. Uh, and my father, uh, so she would work from, uh, she would arrive here at 3.30 and she would work till about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's 12 hours a day. My father would uh, leave the house at 6 o'clock in the morning. I used to drive him here and he would go home sometimes at 9 o'clock in the evening. And same thing with him. The only times he didn't do it, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's Day. And the toll that it had on us uh, was drip by drip. You couldn't see it at that time, but drip by drip, we just became mentally and physically exhausted. And by the end, we realized that my brother was not going to take over the operation. I was not going to take over the operation because I didn't have the heart to or the, the desire to. And my sister was not going to do it. She had a very, has a very successful academic career. So no one to give it to. Nor did I say End of story. What were the emotions like when the final service had ended and the doors were closed was it relief i mean the the work that you're talking about is immense and and unimaginable for a lot of folks in my generation at least um but I, it had to have also had a lot of other emotions mixed in there on that day uh when it was announced about a month before we actually uh gave up the keys to the new owners uh it was the start of a, of a wake it was like uh, a a the burial of an institution the burial of an entity and that's what it felt like it was an extended uh, death if you will and uh the people the outpouring was incredible i mean there were 30,000 people whatever 32,000 people that came to the to the facebook page and uh, you know, it was incredible. And then that last day, we just, it, it was very bitter. It was very somber. There was some laughter, but at the end, you know, it, it just, I, I can't describe it. It just felt like we just lost a part of us. We just lost a part of us. And um, I remember there was one family that used to come here all the time. And they sat from the morning to the evening, just sitting there, they had a table here in the main dining room, just watching us. Because it was almost like, you know, a, a painting that no more, you, it will not exist anymore. Uh, something that will never be replicated. Yeah. I mean, because that generation, the experience that your parents had bringing their family to America and having this business for so many years where they built this amazing community, I mean, in a lot of ways, it wouldn't be replicated again today. Do you think about the, the modern immigrant experience and wonder, A, if it could be replicated, what your parents did, and B, how what your family accomplished and experienced um, can provide a lens on what the modern immigrant experience is? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think for me, and keep in mind that we were accidentals, we, uh, Americans, you might say, because we just happened, my father happened to know someone that had an opening, if you will, to allow him to buy into the business. So in that sense, it was accidental. But one of the discoveries that I realized in writing the book was that this place, this place made us, allowed us, encouraged us, invited us to become Americans. And the thing that I worry now about as we move into an era, certainly here in Seattle, where at the time that we took it over, rents were very reasonable. You, you had a lot of uh, families from various countries who would come here and start a little shop because it, it wasn't very expensive. And as you start, as you see cities like Seattle and other places where it becomes gentrified, I mean, look at the buildings behind us, right? As the rents go up, then opportunities for people like my father, from what I've observed, and I, this is anecdotal evidence, I don't have the statistics, but they, places like that uh, don't exist. And the, the tragedy of it is, is that if you don't have places like this, this doesn't give opportunities for people to join the mainstream culture because this ultimately wasn't just a restaurant. It was an institution. It was a school for us. We just didn't know it. We didn't know that this place was teaching us how to become Americans, how to negotiate like Americans, how to interact like Americans, how to be members of the community like Americans. This is what the place did. And nobody at the time that we were here realized it until after several years, and I decided to write the book, and it was, that was an accidental process itself, that I began to reflect and say, wait a second. This is the place that did this for me, even though there were times where I hated this place because it took me away from my career. I wanted to have big dreams in film and all that. And I, you know, this was slowing me down, but I had no clue that the whole time it was drip by drip. It was telling me, t showing us, directing us, inviting us to say you are now part of this society as well. You know, oftentimes when rents are going up and everything's moving so fast, neighborhoods are changing very quickly. You see turnover so fast in these neighborhoods and you don't have the opportunity to really build a 40-year business. Um, and I think about that too, that, that loss in neighborhoods when you're talking about all the ways that there are barriers to entry as well for new business owners. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit like what's happening, I think, in general in societies that Places like this and communities are becoming more like airports. And one of the things that we realized when we did come in was that there was a sense of community here, that there were other shops like Carter's Delicatessen, Porter and Jensen, that's now Chase Bank, and Millard, Millard Pollard, Pollard was the furniture store that was, I think, here or there, I'm trying to remember. I think it was over there. Uh, once that the, the, the fabric of the community starts to break down and you, you have this changeover, then what begins to happen is that it, it becomes essentially an airport. People are just moving through. And that to me is a loss because that means that, okay, you remembered the place because you, you came in here. Uh, obviously, I remember the place too. And there, there was a kind of a bond that was formed. I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, it wasn't uh, uh, a friendship, although we did become friends with some of our customers, but there was a kind of a bond formed because we knew you, you probably knew us, etc. But once you start breaking that down and it becomes more of a transactional situation, uh, something is lost in the community. And that's the part that, that I regret, that when we left here, that we had to leave those behind. And I can't tell you how many times afterwards, even happening now where I run into old customers and they would say to me, Tasso, why did you close the place? How do you respond? I don't yeah. know. Shrug. That's 
if you know folks listening he he just shrugged and it's hard it's it's really hard how do you feel about going in let's go we can't go in oh oh my gosh they kept the same tables look over there we used to uh, have the greek items to sell like olive oil and wines and um other stuff trinkets from greece and uh canned domades the stuff grape leaves oh they put a they put a like a hawaiian scene there but the tables are exactly the same the register is still there let me see i wonder if that's one of our photographs or it's a new photograph but oh my gosh how about the light fixtures are those the, the same exactly absolutely the same and those the, old globe yeah, you know yeah, warm yeah, yeah, yeah. big light fixtures yeah. all along the outside yeah. of the walls and those swing doors that would lead left to the bathroom and right to the office i don't know if you you probably remember that yeah. oh my god and they removed the cash register that used to be there they used to be right in front of that that uh, picture there of the dolphins and the fish that used to be where we had feta cheese and, and the filo dough for customers. Uh, we also had the wines in the bottom and then the cash register right in front, but that's gone. Oh my God. Oh, they moved the, uh, the... Oh, the cash register is over there on the left side now. Oh, wow. Tell me about these floors, because these are also iconic to me. I remember these floors very well. Oh, yeah. I remember how my mother used to come in and mop the place, and she did such a... She would put so much Clorox that they started having holes in there. Let me see if I can... Oh, yeah, you can see where... Well, now that's that wasn't that way when we were here, but she used to mop the whole thing here, and I used to... Whenever she went to Greece to visit my grandmother, I was Helen <laughs> for two weeks. So I would have to get up at 2.30 in the morning and come down here and open the place so oh my god they would the the bleach would like eat into the tile yeah because she put so much bleach and that uh it started to to crack and then little holes would form and we would tell her mom don't put so much bleach but she never listened uh the american flag that was there from before the american flag this was a guy uh oh god the story of the american flag uh there was this one guy named preston i don't think he's i don't know if he's still around but on the day of 9-11 when it happened he had this flag and he started marching up and down the ave with the american flag in the middle of the street at that time there wasn't much traffic because people were glued to the tv set that was in the morning of literally on thursday um uh, september 11th and he was marching up and down the street then he came here and left the flag here that flag was from 9-11 and he it's still standing it's still here standing I cannot believe that. That's, yeah, it's still standing. You know, I came here as an outsider, but I always felt like I could sense, you know, the deep roots that your family had in this community and the, the feeling that everybody was welcome. And it was such a hangout, you know? It was such a place where you could always find, you know, a couple of folks who you could tell were sitting around, maybe had a cup of coffee that they were nursing for like hours and talking. Um, and it just, it always just had that special glow about it. And, you know, for me, I just want to say thank you to your family and you for building that in this community. And I got a chance to partake of it and I'm, I'm better for it. I think uh, we're all better for it. Thank you for bringing me here.
That was Tasso Lagos, author of the book Cooking Greek, Becoming American, 40 Years at Seattle's Continental Greek Restaurant. He's also a lecturer at the Jackson School of International Studies at the University of Washington, just up the street from the Ave. He and I took a walk along the Ave together last year. Next up from our Neighbors series, we'll meet an iconic Puget Sound creature. No, not the orca or the giant Pacific octopus. I'm talking about the sea slug and two people who love them. That's coming your way on KUOW Shorts on Wednesday. The Neighbors series was originally produced by the team that makes Soundside. On air Mondays through Thursdays on KUOW at noon and 8 p.m. and wherever you get your podcasts. This story was produced by me, Alec Cowan, and Sarah Leibovitz. Soundside and KUOW Shorts are both productions of KUOW Puget Sound Public Radio. We're a proud member of the NPR Network. Subscribe to the KUOW Shorts feed for more short-run, locally produced audio series. This series was produced for KUOW Shorts by Jeannie Yandel and Brandy Fullwood, with help from Hans Twite, Amelia Peacock, and Michaela Giannotti-Boyle. Brendan Sweeney is our director of new content and innovation. Listen to more neighbor stories by subscribing to KUW Shorts wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Libby Dankman. Thanks for listening.